Everybody guides a full binder seat. We will go ahead and get started. Uh, today we're going to be focusing on attentiveness in the midst of distraction. So I think that already may feel relevant <laughs> to many of us. So we're continuing our series through looking at how Jesus interacted with people around meals in the Gospel of Luke. We're doing this because we want to be a church that at the heart of what we're all about is exercising kingdom hospitality. And we've said kingdom hospitality, gospel hospitality, is not about having a tea party or your best hors d'oeuvres. It's about opening your life to other people. It's about welcoming Jesus into the stranger places in our own stories, in our own hearts. It's about welcoming other followers of Christ into our lives, into our homes into the places that we have yet to be known and others have yet to be known. But it's also, mostly, if you look into the scriptures, it's opening our lives and our homes to the stranger, to the unknown. It's welcoming people who are on the, the, the outsides or the margins, as it were, of, of life, of many of our neighborhoods and in much of our city. And it's saying, there's a place at, at my table there's a place in my life for you to be known, where you can just be. You don't got to perform. You don't got to fake. You can just be who you are. A place where you can become, where you can grow, where you can experience who Jesus is, not as someone who's merely good news, true news, but is also good news. Not as someone who's telling you that you just need to do better and try harder and keep all the rules, but someone who actually offers you a relationship. One that covers your debts, one that heals your wounds, and one that empowers you to live. So this is what we're all about. And, and as we look in Luke 10, 38 through 42 this morning, it doesn't explicitly say they're having a meal here, so I might be stretching it a little bit. But I think we can infer there's a meal going on in some of the surroundings here. And at least for me, this was very important. As I, as I read this, I have identified with Martha in, in new ways uh, that have been very convicting. And so as, as always, I'm not going to be preaching or teaching this to somebody who has this figured out, but who desperately needs Jesus. So let's read Luke 10, 38 through 42. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister's left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the grace of it that both exposes us good yet hard ways wounds us and then yet in gracious and hopeful ways heals us. 
We pray today that you just help us to, to be able to just settle down our hearts right now, our minds, even our bodies, so that we can be attentive to what you want to say to us through your word and by your spirit. We pray, God, that you would powerfully rearrange any priorities in our life that need to be rearranged. We pray that you would bring humility to show us where we need to hear from you and show us where we're telling you how things ought to be. We thank you, God, that you speak to us as one who loves us, who knows us, and who will never leave us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, many of us may have heard of the movie uh, Schindler's List. I don't know if you have or not, kind of an old movie, but it was actually based on a novel called Schindler's Ark that's loosely based on true events about Oscar Schindler, who was this a member of the Nazi party who lived in Poland during World War II. And this was during the time, particularly in Krakow, Poland, this particular city where the Jewish people were being taken and removed from their homes where for, for decades, even centuries, they had flourished in the arts and in the sciences and in, and in just a beautiful culture. They are initially removed from these homes and then they're placed in these areas called ghettos where basically like maybe 12 people would be living in a, in a house all by themselves. Well, during this time of the war, Oscar Schindler was a, a entrepreneur, a profiteer, and he saw a way that he could make money. And so he opened up this factory that produced enamelware that, that provided pots and pans and different things for the German army. And so he said, there's one thing that I've got that I never had before in my businesses and why they failed, and it's war. You're gonna make a lot of money off of war. And one particular way, in his particular context that he could do this, is he could take these Jewish people living in this ghetto and have them work in his factory and not have to pay them. And so he began to enlist hundreds of, of these Jewish people to come and work in his factory for free. And what might sound horrible was actually the greatest blessing in the world to those Jewish people. Because the option was either to go work in the, this deadly work camp, and later on as they were moved even from that ghetto into the concentration camp, if they could go work for Schindler, they, it's as if they were in this haven of rest. His factory was a refuge for him. The only problem was, is that's not how he saw it. He didn't even realize it. He was providing really in this, in this one sense of a biblical hospitality, a place where people could come and be safe. A place where people could come and relax. I might not get a bullet in the head if I stumble or fall in my work. But for him, the motivation was just what could get done. For him, the motivation was just how much money could be made. For him, the motivation was just how could he make himself look good amongst the upper crust of German society. For him, the people that came into his sphere as good and safe as it was for them, they were just numbers for his plan. They weren't names that he cared about. 
At least that's how the story began. Now think if we're honest, our hospitality or just our serving in general of Jesus and others can be very similar. Very similar. We can create spaces. We can even welcome people into our lives. We can even take that big step that some of us is a big step for us, welcoming people into our homes, people we don't know well. But it can become very quickly more about us executing a plan than about actually knowing and loving people. It become, can very quickly become more about something we're doing for God or doing for others than actually creating a space where we love God and we love others. So let's think out loud a minute as we do sometimes. How can our hospitality and our serving become like that? What does it look like when our, our serving of Jesus and others or, or our hospitality towards Christ and others, what does that look like when it becomes more about doing for than actually being with? You say rushed. Rushed. You didn't hear it. I know it's hard to hear over the sound and the echo. Yeah, we begin to be just rushed. What else? You get burnt out. Yes, definitely. What else? Yeah, just numbers. Yeah. I, you know, we're not maybe trying to make profit off a of war, but we're trying to, we're trying to, perform is in such a way that in a sense we profit from our Christianity. Oh man, we had 20 people at our house tonight. Or we've had somebody over every week. Yes. It becomes just a, a works righteousness and we need to realize that even with a church like ours that in the heart of our name Matthew's table is about us saying we're going we're gonna to gather around the tables of our everyday lives and Jesus at the center together as disciples and welcoming those on the margins is that this is a, as real a temptation for us as anyone else to do even our relationship with Jesus in this way where our Bible devotions are actually more about doing the Bible reading than being with Jesus. They're actually more about the Bible study, what can I glean from this, than actually sitting in the presence of Christ. In our missional community, where we, where we will spend most of our summer months out here in this park, eating with the neighborhood, it can be very quickly about just producing food, very quickly about just uh, keeping things going, and if we're not careful, not actually being with people. In all of our missional communities, service can become service projects instead of opportunities where people feel known, where people feel like they belong, and where people feel loved. And when we turn these things into merely religious doing, and as some of you have shared, they really do become exhausting. 
I mean, this is where we get exhausted. And this is where we get to the point to where we say things like, you know, I just need to take a break from church. It's not that we need to take a break from church. It's, it's we need to recalibrate the way we think about what it actually means to be the church. If church and relationship with Christ is all about us doing, getting it done well, and getting it done right, then we will be exhausted. And we will say, I'm super tired. The people of God are the last people I need to be around. They just wear me out. We're all competing for who's doing what and how they're doing it. Man, I've been there. I've been there when there's the call for maybe there's going to be snow on a Sunday. To be honest with you guys, as a pastor, it's like, ooh, man. That'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? I didn't have to get up and be stressed out if everything's going to go just right. If this is going to happen the way that I want it to happen. If you're going to like me after I preach too long, every time. And that reveals my heart. What am I doing? I'm just doing it. Just wanting it to get done doing it for Jesus I'm not sitting at his feet what we want to do is we want to create environments that just blows that mindset up we don't want church to be a chore we don't want discipleship to be a chore We want to have environments where true discipleship happens through attentive communion with Christ and attentive community with each other. But to do so means we have to move from a hospitality or a discipleship of doing to a hospitality or a discipleship of being. I think we see the opposite here in a distracted hospitality. The first thing is a doing hospitality is a distracted hospitality. So notice again verses 38 through 40 here. Now this is important. We have to say that at the beginning of a, a message like this from Jesus. Now as they went on their way, so to properly read the Bible, we have to read it in its context. We can't just take little verses or paragraphs out and, and then let them stand on their own. We can't say, ooh, I like Jesus saying this, but I don't like Jesus saying this. So there's some people who might hear a text like this, and you might be more of the con con contemplative type. And in the history of the church, this text actually has been used to say we don't need to be activists, we need to be quietists, we need to, we need to retreat from society and from work and, and just, you know, kind of live in this in the presence of Jesus all the time, you know, mentality. But now they went on their way. If you look in the context, Jesus has exactly just told them the parable of the Good Samaritan. If you have your Bible, you can just look down and see that. So Jesus has just given this radical call to sacrificial love of your neighbor that is putting service and action, saying you, you don't even love your neighbor if you're not willing to, to follow in this example. And what's interesting about the parable of the Good Samaritan is you have the priest and the Levite who are con contrasted with the Samaritan. Where the priest and the Levite probably on their way to when they don't have time to care for that guy in the ditch. They're probably on their way to church. They're probably on their way to a Bible study. And so if in our minds we, get, we can't say, hey, 
at the end of this, I'm going to be like that priest in Levi. I've got no time to sacrifice to care for people because I'm going to be with Jesus. No, the context will not allow us to do that. But here we see Martha. Martha gets a bad rap. But let's honor Martha a little bit. Martha welcomes Jesus into her house. That's, that's great. That's praiseworthy. Martha is someone who is willing to practice hospitality to Jesus in her home. And we see here, we infer here that she begins to serve him. And that's not a bad thing. She's likely washing his feet. In that culture, that was a, a sign of welcome. She's likely preparing for him something to eat. She's being a dutiful host. And again, we see that this matters in context because I remember our meal that Jesus had with the Pharisee and the, and the, the, the woman, likely the prostitute, comes up and begins to wash Jesus' feet with her hair. And Jesus says, you know what, Pharisee, when I came into your house, you didn't even wash my feet. So Martha here is not doing bad things. She's just missing the best things. And so Martha has a sister. If you got a sister or a brother, you can show a little sympathy for her probably. But Mary's response is different. It says she sat at the Lord's feet and she listened to his teaching. It seems that Mary's response is more concerned with sitting and learning and listening to Jesus than doing for him. So the Spirit-given conclusion here, verse 40, but Martha was distracted with much serving. And we know serving is not wrong. Jesus has made that clear Good Samaritan, Pharisee, and many other places. Jesus himself is the one who said, I came not to be served, but to serve. And he is our example. But there's a word here that's very important. Much. She's distracted with much serving. This word is often used to talk about this much serving, this much, as someone who's drawn in many different directions. So it's somebody that's like has all these plates spinning and they got to keep moving to keep them going. It's like me trying to cook supper, right, and get it all done at the same time, right? And you got to run here, run here, run here, run here. That's really hard to do for me. And she's distracted by this. And in the middle of her much serving, of her doing more than was necessary, of her not being able to realize when enough is enough, because probably it's some really good motivations. I want this to be the best for Jesus. I want this to be the best for everyone here. She misses the people who are actually in front of her. She misses Jesus. She's so busy doing for Jesus, she has no space to be with Jesus. She's so busy doing for people, she has no space to do, to do life with people. As all great uh, understandings of theology come to us through memes on Facebook. I saw one this week that was it was it was really convicting and it and it pointed to this. It showed this this young girl, 
not picking on young girls because I know we all do it as adults. We've lived enough life together to know that. She's sitting at some restaurant with her elderly grandfather on the other side of the table and she is sitting there playing on her phone and he's just sitting there looking at her. And the caption, or whatever you call the words on the meme said something to the effect, if she only knew she doesn't have that much time left. I was just struck by that. As we get older, and I get older, can begin to be the, the grouchy old person, these people on their phones all the time. But we all got our, our version of that. And sometimes it's really good churchy activities that we're doing lots of things and we're missing the people right in front of us. We're missing Jesus saying, you know, I, peanut butter sandwich would have been good enough if I would have got to spend more time with you. Distracted doing from Jesus and others misses the point of hospitality. It misses the point of the Christian life. Because the point of hospitality is not to get it done. So many of us have grown up in these church cultures where there's this project mentality is I gotta pull this off, I gotta get this done, and then everybody leaves from the house or whatever, and you take this deep breath and you say, we made it. We're not careful, we can leave our family meals, we can leave our fight clubs, we can, we can leave it and we can say, we did it, we got through it. And we, all we reveal is we just missed the point. It's not to pull it off, it's to be with people. That's why some of us are so anxious and exhausted by the Christian life, is we're just trying to pull it off. I read my Bible today, I prayed today, yes, I won't have to feel guilty later. Henry Nowen says, Christian hospitality means the creation of a free space where the stranger can enter and become a friend. We're not, Christian hospitality is not us becoming short order cooks for other people so they simply have something to eat. Christian hospitality is not us saying, ooh, we do church like this, and look at what we did. When hospitality becomes about doing, then we're distracted. When hospitality comes about doing, then we've forgotten that our guests actually matter more than our hospitality. Hospitality is not the point. Some say, well, but I'm an introvert. Well, you can be with one other person. You don't have to be like everyone else. That's the live doing, is I have to do it like everybody else. I have to become somebody that God's not created me to be. Others of you say, yeah, well, somebody has to get it done. If I don't do the extra work, then it won't get done. Imagine Martha is thinking, you've not had to live with Mary your whole life. 
Mary's the one who's always having fun. Mary's the one who never does the work. I'm the one who has to do the work. I've had to do the work my whole life. So that leads us to the second thing we see here is that distracted hospitality eventually becomes bitter hospitality. This is, this is wild, but we, we, if we're honest, we all can be here. Mar Martha went up to Jesus and says, Lord, don't you care that my sister's left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. Martha's irritated with Mary. She's so inconsiderate. If you know anything about this Enneagram witchcraft stuff, I'm a two, and that means I'm the helper. That means even though I might want to hide it, I'm a lot more like Martha than I would like to admit. And what people who are helpers and doers really, really don't like is inconsideration. It really irritates people like that to see them sitting and enjoying themselves while you're doing what you think is necessary and has to get done, and they just don't even know. Mary, Martha's thinking, I've lived my whole life like this. Martha's looking at Mary, and she may be thinking, doesn't she know a woman's place is in the kitchen? Who does she think she is sitting in there listening and learning to Jesus like she's some type of man? But notice Martha's not just irritated at Mary, she's irritated at Jesus. She doesn't understand. I thought Jesus was the one that was supposed to get it and get me. It looks like he's enabling my sister to just enjoy him. We can't just enjoy Jesus. That's not how Christianity works. She questions his care for her. And then she boldly tells him what to do. I mean, we need to feel that. Tell her to help me. Maybe Martha thought this. This is what I would have thought. Jesus, you could have said, Mary, if we all go do the work together, then we can all come sit at your feet together. You know? That seems to make sense, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus just is being Jesus here, and he doesn't agree with what we think is wise and practical. Because this is not about what's practical. This is not an issue of practicality. This is an issue of priority. And say that again for us Marthas in here. This is not an issue of practicalities. This is an, actu an, an issue of priority. This is not not an issue of doing what needs to be done. This is an issue of not having an, a, a, a category for what is more than needs to be done. And by the way, if your God always agrees with you, then he's not God. Martha's heart is being revealed here to care more about what everybody should be doing. And of course to her, that's just what's right. It's just right. And Jesus disagrees. She's judging Jesus by her standards and not letting Jesus be the one who leads her into this. I've shared this before, I think, but I remember one, one time growing up and uh, playing basketball with my Sunday school teacher. 
who, man, I love this guy and respected him and looked up to him. I'd never seen him on a basketball court before. Sports and competitions can bring out a different side in people. <laughs> and all of a sudden, in my middle school or early high school self, is seeing this guy who's, you know, just acting like his whole identity hinges upon how he plays basketball or whether or not he wins the game. And he got pretty bitter. And we got pretty bitter. But nobody had a good time. And that's exactly where our hospitality, our open lives to Jesus and one another can go if we're not careful. If it's all about us doing and who's doing what and who's not doing what, then it will be fueled and filled with comparison, competition, discouragement, accusations, assuming other people's motives, and bitterness will take root in our hearts. And what's set out to be this grand vision of love and, and welcome and belonging will just become another empty shell of southern religious legalism. Some of us, some of you, may have bitterness towards others in regards to this already. You show up to things and people show up to your house or you welcome into your life and you're just sitting back and thinking, are they clueless to what it takes to pull this off? I made half this meal and they show up with a can of corn or nothing? The reality is there are some people who are lazy. But Martha, Mary's not being lazy here. Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet. Lazy people are self-absorbed procrastinators who are addicted to their phones. But we're not talking here about someone choosing serving self over serving others. We're talking about someone saying, I want to sit at the feet of, the G feet of Jesus. And doing Christianity left undealt with is deadly because doing Christianity is all about entitlement. We're like the older son in the parable of the prodigal son. I've served you all these years, Father. What, what are you doing for me? Doing Christianity is about earning. I deserve the closest seat to Jesus. Jesus should be rebuking Mary and rewarding me. I was serving what's revealed so that I would be the star. I want to be a gold star Christian. I want to do more than everybody else. I want to have more stars on my chart. Doing Christianity is all about equality, not grace. It must be fair according to my standards. Martha's thinking this is very unfair. Very unfair. I've been in this church longer. I've worked harder. I've did more. So therefore, I should receive this type of affirmation. I should receive this type of opportunity. And all of this entitled doing Christianity is going to lead us to is deep disappointment and bitterness. And this is why there are many people who were great doers in the church, great doers in Christianity who are now at home this morning and probably will never ever lean into life together with another church. 
But Jesus, his grace, and his gospel do not reward this doing Christianity. And some great doers, Jesus says in Matthew 7, are going to hear, I never knew you. But Jesus, didn't we do all these great things for you? And Jesus will say, depart from me, I never knew you. You weren't doing them because you knew me and you loved me and you listened to me. You were doing them for yourself. So this doing hospitality reveals an enslaved hospitality. Just very quickly in verse 41. It reveals the motivations. This is what Jesus does. We want to keep it all about the behavior, and Jesus goes to the heart. The Lord answers her, Martha, Martha. He loves Martha. That's what this repetition of the name, Martha, Martha. If you'll read in John chapter 11, in in the scene where Lazarus dies, it says, Jesus loved Martha. Jesus isn't hating on Martha here. Jesus wants to see Martha get freed up to enjoy him and enjoy other people and to learn what it means to be present. Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. Martha is living an anxiety-ridden life. She she has good intentions, but what she's trying to do is to quiet her anxieties and her troubles through her performance. And Jesus is just trying to tell her, you know, it's a dead-end street, Martha. You're never going to do enough. It's never going to be enough. You'll never have that perfect meal prepared. You'll never have that perfect moment. You'll never have that perfect list of achievements or accomplishments that, that will satisfy what your heart is longing for. You'll you'll never experience that heaven on this side of earth that you want through your own works. You see, Martha's problem really isn't Mary. It's not Jesus. It's herself. It's herself. Martha needs to listen to Jesus, but listening to Jesus is going to mean she's going to have to slow down enough to be able to listen to her own heart. That's really scary for us, Martha. Because the worst thing a Martha wants to hear is it's going to feel like, I was trying to do everything right and Jesus told me I was doing it wrong. It's going to take a lot of humility to say, wow, that... I thought I was doing all that for Jesus and others. Maybe I was really doing all that for myself. Maybe I was really trying to cover or silence my anxieties. We have to slow down. Because the overdoing life reveals an enslaved heart. Just think for a second. What is your overdoing saying about how your heart is responding to anxieties and troubles? Who are you trying to impress? How are you trying to impress God? How are you trying to impress others? How are you trying to impress yourself through your works? As in such a way, it's just driving you deeper into that spiral of anxiety. 
What is your engagement with hospitality revealing about your heart? Sometimes the anxiety dries up. Oh, wow, now these people are here. Now I've got to do all this for them. Why? What's the Spirit saying? What does some of your resistances to engaging in hospitality? Some of you are like, I don't, I don't, that's why I don't do it. You know? I know that if I engage in life with others like this, I, I just, I don't like it. It's too uncomfortable for me. Why? What, what do you think has to be done? What, what do you think you're supposed to do? Because it'll never be enough. You're right. If, that, if that's what this is all about, is you doing the right thing or being the right thing, man, I don't want to be a part of that. But Jesus invites her, last of all, doing responsive hospitality receives the invitation to a freed hospitality. In the face of her anxiety, Jesus gracefully shows her that one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion. That's an important word. Uh, some people think Martha might have been preparing lots of portions. Portions of food word. Mary's chosen the good portion. She's chosen the best part of the meal. And that's sitting at the feet of Jesus. Unless we think this is some silo Christianity that Mary's engaged in, let's remember she's in a house, there have been other people there. And Martha was invited to be there. It's like sitting at the feet of Jesus together, listening to his word, listening to his teaching, feasting on his presence and his truth. That's the good portion. This word of sitting at his feet, that, this isn't Mary sitting in front of Jesus like a girl in the 50s sitting in front of Elvis and swooning. Sitting at his feet, this is a, this is a specific phrase. It's a phrase of discipleship. The pupils of rabbis, the disciples of rabbis, it was said that they sat at their rabbi's feet. They were devoted to them. They wanted to be close to them so they could learn from them and they could live like them. The good portion here is a discipleship that prioritizes its life around listening to, learning from, and living like Jesus. And when we give our lives to that, when that's what our hospitality and our serving of Christ and others is all about, then we are investing ourselves in something that will never be taken away. Mary is not being lazy. Mary is not doing less work. She's doing the work for the right reason, and she's doing the work in the right place. And it has to be said so that it's not missed, again, Mary is a woman. And this would have been scandalous. Just imagine probably in this culture, uh, rabbis would have very rarely, if ever, accepted a woman to be this type of pupil in this type of proximity and presence. And you can just see Mary, here's all these dudes, likely the disciples, right? And she just steps right up in the middle of them and sits down. Not as a fangirl, 
but as a follower. And I just want to encourage you ladies. We're a complementarian church, and not to go on about that forever, that simply means we think in the creational pattern of God that it's a good thing that men lead in the home and in the church, and it's not a limiting thing that keeps ladies from using their gifts or being the fullness of what God created them to be. We just, we don't believe that. We believe these things complement each other. They don't limit anyone. They don't hold anyone back. But we just got to say it to make sure. Ladies, don't feel like you've got to feel any, any type of this southern woman stereotype where you're stuck in the kitchen and you're taking care of all these little details of life and your husband's the one, or, your, or the guys, or the dudes are the one who really study deep theology and really make disciples. Because Jesus just exploding that myth. He's always got these ladies following him, and, and he's pouring into them, and they're learning from him. Don't let yourself be limited. Be a leader who sits at the feet of Jesus and leads others there as well. Mary chooses this good portion. And Jesus invites Martha there. And what inviting Martha there means is that Jesus calling her to sit at his feet is ultimately calling her to sit at the foot of the cross. Because what Martha's believe, whether you're an unbeliever here this morning or you're a believer, Martha's believe that their identity comes through their doing. Martha's believe that they can earn the acceptance of God, the acceptance of others, and even the acceptance of themselves through their hard work. And Jesus wants Martha to come sit down and be served by him. Jesus wants Martha to know that until he is enough, nothing else will ever be enough. He's saying to Martha here, much like he said to Peter, Peter, I must wash your feet. I've got to serve you. You've got to sit down and do nothing and let me serve you. I've got to bear your burden. Martha, you want to bear everybody else's burdens, but the only way you're going to be a person who experiences the joy of the kingdom is you must let me bear your burden. He's calling us to the cross where, as John Newton said, we lay our deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet for the first time as we become believers and for the millionth time as we slip back into this cycle as believers where we need to look to the cross and hear him saying, it is finished. You've got nothing to do to prove anything to anybody, not to any pastor, not to any person, not to yourself, and above all, not to God. It's the work of Jesus. It's His record. It's His performance. It's His perfection. That's what counts. And when you believe that, then you can learn to discern where enough is enough. Ah, if we run out of food, it'll be okay. We're together. 
we're together. If, thing, if my plan don't work out and things get super distracting and confusing, we're together. We can sit at Jesus' feet and listen and learn, just learn to be present with him. And when we learn to be present with Jesus, he disciples us in where we can be present with other people. And there is nothing like somebody paying really, really paying attention to you. I read this week, I can't remember who said it, but attention is the purest form of generosity. If we want to welcome the broken, the burnout, and the bored into our homes, the greatest way we can love and serve them is to learn to be attentive, to be present. But that's the hardest thing for so many of us. But the good news is Jesus isn't coming with condemnation. He's bringing grace to us. Martha evidently responded well because later in this story she will look at Jesus and she'll say, I know you are the resurrection and the life. Schindler went from seeing these people as pawns in his factories to persons as he got to know them. And as he got to know them, he conspired to see over a thousand of these Jewish people who were on their way to Auschwitz, transported not to their certain death in the gas chambers, but taken to a factory that he would open in Czechoslovakia. But where, as he started using them to get rich, they ended up leaving him broke because he had to bribe off the German officials to get them there. So he went broke. Because people became names to him, not just numbers. And then beautifully at the end of his story, those same Jewish people provided for him. And we have a greater Oscar Schindler in Jesus who is calling us to the servant work, not of doing for numbers, but loving as names. Father, thank you for this good news of your welcome and your acceptance. We pray now as we come to the table that you would help us to be attentive to your presence, not distracted, not somewhere else, not just getting the next thing done in our order of service so that we can get, the next, get to the next thing we need to get done in the order of our day, be present and attentive before the cup and the bread and to be present and attentive before the body of Christ. We just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.